Well, good evening once again. I'd again like to welcome our AMEN members who are tuned in from all around the world as well as the 3ABN audience. As I mentioned earlier, we were a little disappointed that we're not able to meet in person, but really the Lord has worked things out and we've been able to join the 3ABN family. And from the 3ABN studios, we are having a, a virtual live conference. And so just really want to especially thank uh, Greg and Jill. We're so appreciative of you guys making us feel so at home. The whole 3ABN uh, family, all the team. Um, also John and Adelia Dinsey for the um, 3ABN Latino that just actually opened up to also broadcast this to our Latin community, um, also in South America and around the world. And we're just uh, believe that God is really blessed as he's opened up this door. In a few minutes, I will share with you some more details about the Adventist Medical Evangelism Network and how God called Amen into existence at this time. But first, let me set the stage of where we are today in history. About eight months ago, on February 29, 2020, the United States received a wake-up call. Our world was about to undergo radical change. You see, we were hearing reports of this virus that was happening over in China. But suddenly, on February 29, 2020, the first United States death from COVID-19 occurred in a hospital in Seattle, Washington. The patient had no knowledge of any contact with, it, with anybody who had been sick with COVID. And so they had not traveled. And in fact, they had been in a nursing home. The alarm bells went off all over the medical community. It was a dreadful realization. <clears throat> what we had learned and what the world learned from this experience is that COVID was not contracted just by direct spread, but it could be spread by community spread. It could have people that are asymptomatic that are carrying it to unsuspected people. Few would ever have predicted that in a matter of weeks, the whole world economy would literally be shut off, turned off. Borders would close. Um, countries would shut down their borders. Um, churches were asked to stop having church. We stopped having face-to-face -face medical visits. And our hospitals were emptied of all but the very sickest of patients. Um, we hadn't really known much about telehealth, but all of a sudden telehealth became the way that we were doing visits with our patients. Before this, it hadn't been even covered by insurance. And I literally had physicians in our group that were afraid to come to the office to do a telehealth visit unless they were provided the full PPE in a gown to keep them safe. That's how much fear was circulating in the medical community. It's similar to what happened when the AIDS virus first broke out back in the 1980s. Fear had a firm grip on everyone. We would be asked to stay home and isolate. There wasn't any mask or personal protective equipment to be had. Our governor talked to the president of our hospital and said, that's all you're going to get. You, we had about a two-week supply, and we had to make it stretch out for at least six weeks before we could get more medical care and more supplies. Everything was overwhelmed. And even if you got admitted to the hospital, there wasn't much that they could do. Supportive measures, a few fluids, and maybe they'd put you on a ventilator, but the disease really had to run its natural course. 
the system was being overwhelmed. Sadly, we were not practicing medicine based on evidence-based medicine, but we were practicing based on the availability of resources. Often, people died alone or on FaceTime with their families. It was very sad. We all thought that this would be contained quickly, uh, that it would be over soon and we'd get back to our lives by summertime as uh, we hoped everything would settle down. As with everyone else, I certainly did not think that we would be meeting here um, eight months later in a virtual conference. Had no idea that it would take this long. And here we are having our face-to-face conference canceled and meeting virtually just uh, through television and through our streaming sites. COVID is still here. In fact, it's accelerating in the United States and around the world. It's not yet been contained. Um, It's now topped over 44 million cases so far. And uh, just just yesterday, France um, in Germany now has gone back into lockdown. The world has changed. But I was struck by the fact that once again, the Seventh-day Adventist health message was probably of more benefit than many of the modern therapies. We've certainly learned a lot over the past eight months. Therapies are getting better, but simple lifestyle uh, medicine modalities are still very effective. They are a powerful tool for preventing and possibly a powerful adjunct uh, for therapy for this disease. It's still as effective today as when Ellen White um, gave this message of health over a hundred years ago. Suddenly, several of her quotes were ringing in my ears like, you should live outside the cities. You should learn how to grow a garden and provide your own food. And you should learn simple, natural remedies. Even the Bible The ancient literature from thousands of years ago, such as Numbers chapter 19, verse 11, had recommended the Old Testament quarantine laws that suggested that you should wash in water and you should quarantine for seven days if you had been in contact with a dead person or a sick person to to avoid the communicable diseases. And all of a sudden, this ancient advice started sounding like it was written today. Hospitals had become overwhelmed, or our hospitals become overwhelmed just with the flu season. And now COVID, which is two and a half times more uh, contagious and possibly one to 5% higher uh, or a one, per, one to 5% mortality rate, which is at least 10 times more than the flu. Um, you can see why our system is completely overwhelmed. Our hospital systems, in fact, no hospital systems anywhere around the world were built to accommodate this kind of sudden increased demand. Couple that with the fear that the first responders might also be affected and they might be knocked out for 10 to 14 days before they could come back even if they recovered quickly. We can quickly have a complete catastrophe but this isn't one of the seven last plagues. Rather, this is the beginning of sorrows that Jesus talked about. It's a wake up call that this world is very fragile and that we are living in borrowed time. We are living in much uncertainty. Many of my patients, as well as several of my church members, started talking about the COVID experience in biblical 
um, proportions. They were seeing end time scenarios. Everyone, everywhere is going to be affected somehow. From knowing somebody who died from the virus, and sadly, a uh, colleague of mine in our town, a cardiologist, just two weeks ago, or a week ago on Sunday, passed away from COVID. After picking it up six months ago, being in, an, in the hospital with a trach and then to a vent facility and waiting for a lung transplant because of COVID, and he just suddenly passed away. It's very, very sad. Right now, I have one of my colleagues, a cardiologist in my group, his, who's out for 10 days because he just came down with COVID. It's still a very real thing. You may have your children home from school because of having to quarantine. You may have lost your job. You may not be able to find things like rice and flour and bread. And who would have thought in the world's most prosperous country that toilet paper would become the face of the necessities that we were all looking for? Our world has changed and it will probably never be the same again. Add to that the unrest that is happening in our country and around the world. There are race riots in the streets, people being shot, cities destroyed by looting and rampant uh, theft of stores that are now boarded up in some of our biggest cities. Chanting slogans like no justice, no peace. Millions are out of work around the world. Just this morning in Nice, in the south of France, a, uh, a knife attack occurred in a church that left three people dead. Our world is coming apart at the scenes. Our, our economy is on life support. There is now a genuine distrust of leaders and the hatred that is being expressed from the highest offices to the very lowest places is rampant throughout our whole society. But God is not caught off guard. In Education, page 173, Ellen White had this observation. In the annals of human history, the growth of nations and the rise and fall of empires appear as dependent on the will and prowess of man. The shaping of events seems to a great degree to be determined by his power, ambition, or caprice. But in the world of God, the curtain is drawn aside and we behold... Behind, above, and through all the play and counterplay of human interests and power and passions, the agencies of the all-merciful one, silently, patiently working out the counsels of his own will. God is not surprised, and he has been at work preparing for this last great showdown. Onto the world stage, God has prepared a people who have the only solution to these insurmountable problems, a people that have the gospel of Jesus Christ. In Ministry of Healing, page 142, Ellen White states that we are living in the midst of an epidemic of crime at which thoughtful, God-fearing men everywhere stand aghast. The corruption that prevails, it is beyond the power of the human pen to describe Every day brings fresh revelations of political strife, bribery, and fraud. Every day brings its heart-sickening record of violence and lawlessness, of indifference to human suffering, of brutal, fiendish destruction of human life. 
every day testifies to the increase of insanity, murder, and suicide. Who can doubt that satanic agencies are at work among men with increasing activity to distract and corrupt the mind and defile and destroy the body? Doesn't that sound like that was just written in our day? It was written over 100 years ago. For the epidemic of crime, God has a solution. He unleashes overwhelming grace. God has been preparing a people who will clearly and powerfully proclaim the three angels' messages. A threefold message that is to prepare the world for the things that we are facing in our day. God has given his people present truth for these troublesome times. A threefold message. What are the three messages and why are they relevant for amen? Our hope tonight is that we understand where we are in history, that we have a heartfelt appreciation for the unique message that God has given our church, and that we will see how amen fits into his overall plan. Let's start with the first angel's message. If you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn to Revelation 14, verses 6 to 7. Then I saw another angel flying in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach to those who dwell on the earth, to every nation, tribe, tongue, and people, saying with a loud voice, Fear God and give glory to him, for the hour of his judgment has come. And worship him who made heaven and earth, the sea, and the offsprings, or in the springs of water. Three things to notice. The everlasting gospel is proclaimed with a loud voice. The call to worship the creator in the hour of his judgment. In Matthew chapter 24, Jesus describes a scenario that sounds very much like our day. He describes wars and rumors of wars, famines and pestilence, natural disasters like earthquakes and fire, people hating one another and killing one another, and lawlessness abounding in the love of many growing cold. And then he says this in Matthew, 4, in Matthew 24, verse 14. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all the nations. And then the end will come. Note that this text says this gospel. Let's suppose that somehow we had enough money to put a broadcast all around the world every Saturday night for three hours. And we broadcast messages. Would that be enough to bring on the second coming? It has to be a particular gospel. It has to be this gospel that is preached to all the world. It is not an issue of quantity alone. The gospel is different. It is complete. It's mature. It's compelling and it has to be powerful enough to bring on the end. It must convict, it must convince, and it must um, convert. The first angel proclaims with a loud voice a gospel powerful enough to bring on the second coming itself. The Apostle Paul tells us of the power of this gospel in two texts. And so you can turn to Romans 1, chapter 16, a text that we're all familiar with. I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation to everyone who believes. 
And also 1 Corinthians 1, 17 and 18. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of no effect. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to those who are being saved, it is what? The power. If we put these two texts together, the gospel of Jesus Christ is the power and the message of the cross is the power then the cross of Jesus Christ is the message that has the power. Amen. Ellen White, in manuscript release, page 31 in 1890, wrote, There is one great central truth to be kept before the people or be kept before the mind in the searching of the scriptures, Christ in him crucified. Every other truth is invested with influence and power corresponding to its relation to this theme. It is only in the light of the cross that we can discern the exalted character of the law of God. The soul, palsied by sin, can be endowed with life only through the work wrought out upon the cross by the author of our salvation. The love of Christ constrains men to unite with him in his labors and sacrifice. That's where amen comes in. To unite with Jesus in his labors and his sacrifice. The revelation of divine love awakens in them a sense of their neglected obligation to be light bearers to the world and inspires them with a missionary spirit. The truth enlightens the mind and it sanctifies the soul. It will banish unbelief. It will inspire faith. When Christ in his work of redemption is seen to be the grand central truth of the system of truth, a new light is shed upon all the events of the past and the future. They are seen in a new relation and possess a new and deeper significance. What is the new and deeper significance? Seeing Christ as the center of all the doctrines that we believe. And as members of Amen, it's about seeing Christ as the center of our medical work. Importantly, the gospel, the powerful gospel was given, has, was given us in Christ Jesus even before time began. 2 Timothy 1 verse 8 um, talks about this in, the second, in verse 9 actually. It talks about him who has saved us and who has called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time begin. The everlasting gospel is the same gospel that was preached in the Old Testament. It's the same gospel that God shared with Adam and Eve in the garden. It's the same gospel that God preached to Abraham that in him all the nations of the earth would be blessed. It was a promise of the Messiah. The Messiah would accomplish something for every single person on the whole planet. The gospel, the everlasting gospel, is for everyone. These texts address this idea specifically. We'll turn to them real quickly. 1 John 4, 14. We have seen and testify that the Father has sent the Son as Savior of the world. In Titus 2, 11, the grace of God hath appeared, bringing salvation to all men. He is the Savior of the world. He brings salvation to everyone. And let's look at Romans 5, verse 6. We'll start in verse 6, we'll look at verse 8, and we'll look at verse 10. For when we were still without strength, 
In due time, Christ died for who? The ungodly. We couldn't save ourselves. We had nothing to recommend ourselves. We were ungodly. We were, unhel- we were helpless. Verse 8, God demonstrates his own love toward us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. All pagan religions have at their core the belief that we have to do something first to make ourselves acceptable to God. But the gospel is different. Jesus died for us while we were still sinners, while we were ungodly. In verse 10, for when we were his enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son. Much more, having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. God, through his son, is pursuing every single person. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son so that whosoever believes should not perish but have everlasting life. He desires all mankind to be saved. He, has, he is holding out hope for everyone until there is no more hope. This is the gospel that the world needs to hear. This is why the first angel says that this message is for all who dwell on the earth, for every single nation, for every tribe, even the remotest tribe, every single language, every single people group, no matter how remote and no matter how far away, this gospel has to be given to everyone because Jesus died for everyone. He has offered salvation as a free gift to everyone. Won't you? receive his gift the first angel presents the truth of the everlasting gospel but the first angel's message does not end there it continues in verse 7 where it says saying with a loud voice fear God and give glory to him for the hour of his judgment has come and worship him who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and the spring of water his identity is as the creator. And that reveals, his, that, that revelation has great significance to us. He is the creator and he is deserving of our worship and our praise. But the fact is, and the fact that he is the creator has significance for each of us. We didn't just evolve out of the slime over millions of years. We were created in the image of God. The Godhead got down, got down and formed Adam out of the dust. He breathed into him the breath of lives. Your life and my life, every one of you has significance to the creator, to the God that made you. We are made in his image. And so we are special. This should answer the question of racism. This should answer the question of the petty differences that we hold against each other. Everyone is created in the eyes of Jesus. Everyone has worth. He is the Savior who is close to us, the intimate God. The late Carl Sagan, a famous astrophysicist, asked a question that the psalmist also asked in chapter 8 of the Psalms. But they arrived at two stark different conclusions. Back when Voyager 1, that first little spacecraft that was supposed to go out and study I think Jupiter and the outer planets, it went out there millions and millions of miles and they 
turned the spacecraft around and they looked back at our small little Earth. It looked like a little dot in the, sun, in the sunshine. In reflecting on this, Carl Sagan said that our planet is a lonely speck in the great enveloping cosmic dark. In our obscurity, in all this vastness, there is no hint that help will come from elsewhere to save us from ourselves. But the psalmist, appreciating God as the creator of everything, saw it differently. And in Psalms chapter 8, verses 3 and 4, he says, When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you have ordained, what is man that you are mindful of him? And the son of man that you visit him. What is man? The Hebrew word here is enosh, which speaks about man's frailty, our weaknesses, when one stands in the presence of the vastness of the mystery of the glory of the heavens as we see at night, he must feel that man is insignificant, just a small dot in the universe. But the best part is the idea that you visit him or you give attention to him. It's not just visiting, but what the visitor God has accomplished on his visit that is of importance. The word indicates that God is a caring God, that he cares for every single human being. He shows us favor and attention. Why should an infinite God who has a universe of worlds to claim his whole attention be mindful of finite man? Jesus Christ came to our world as the unwearied servant of man's necessity, as Ministry of Healing states it. This is how... This is where Christ came, and it's only in the realization of the worth of the human soul created in God's likeness that we can answer all these questions. This realization comes only in the appreciation of the death of the Son of God on the cross. In the mystery of the cross, Christ shows us what the worth of one human soul is. It is an infinite value. When the creator of the world, the creator of the universe, the creator who made everything in the physical universe is willing to lay down his life for just you or me, it's of infinite value. God sees us as valuable. In this first angel's message, we see the answer to the chaos in the world. The beginner God who initiated all things came to our world and did for every single person what we could not do for ourselves. With, a, with this kind of God, we have nothing to fear about the judgment. And in fact, in Daniel chapter 7, verse 22, it says that judgment is made in favor of the saints. It's his trial. We're not even the ones that are on trial. The world is judging God and making decisions about him. We are just the pawns that are caught in the crosshairs. His people who have the everlasting gospel present a true picture of God's character of love by the way that they live their lives with, com with compassion and what they show to their fellow man around them in the midst of this chaos in our world. They point the world back to God as the creator of our world and as well as to Jesus who is the savior of our world. The gospel is God's covenant with the human race to save us no matter what the cost is to himself even if it cost him a cross. Jesus was willing to give up 
his eternal existence if that is what it would cost to save you and to save me. God loves us more than he loves himself. He has literally redeemed the whole world in his son. Revelation 1 verse 5 through 6 says to him who loved us, who washed us from our sins and in his own blood and has made us kings and priests to his God and Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. God has redeemed us. He has called us to enter into a priesthood of believers with him to share his very throne. 1 John 5 verse 11 says, This is the testimony that God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. He who has the Son has life, and he who does not have the Son of God does not have life. Do you see it? Jesus is the gift of God to all men. Jesus is the gospel. The amazing truth must be shared with all the world. Revelation 14 says that it has to be given with a loud voice. Ministry of Healing states that the giving of the gospel to the world is the work that God has committed to those who bear his name. For earth's sin and misery, the gospel is the only antidote to make known to all mankind. The message of the grace of God is the first work of those who know its healing power. Notice that the everlasting gospel has healing power. He, it, the gospel is the only solution for the unrest in our world, the injustice in our world, and the only solution for the lifestyle diseases that are afflicting mankind. And this is just the first angel's message. Let's quickly move on to this second angel's message. In Revelation 14, I saw another angel followed saying, Babylon, is fallen, is fallen, that great city, because she has made all nations drink of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. What does Babylon represent? Babylon represents the system of false religion, the the system of principles that is at work in our day now. Many honest people realize that the systems in our world are coming to an end The world system is built on the principle of self and self-exaltation. It really is an evolutionary principle of survival of the fittest. Moreover, Babylon has has been in opposition to God's people from the very beginning of sin. And so the Bible predicts that Babylon is coming to a soon and very speedy end. Let's go on to the third angel's message. Revelation 14, 9 through 12, that an angel followed them saying with a loud voice, if anyone worships the beast in his image or receives his mark on his forehead or in his hand, he himself shall also drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out full strength into his cup of indignation. And it ends with this statement, here is the patience of the saints. Here are those who keep the commandments of God in the faith of Jesus. Five Testimonies, page 383, states that the third angel, flying in the midst of heaven and heralding the commandments of God and the testimony of Jesus, represents our work. We are the ones, Seventh-day Adventists are the ones that are giving the three angels' messages to the world. We are the angels, the message, the end-time message that has the solution to the end-time problems. This message, she says, this message loses none of its force in the angel's onward flight. For John sees it increasing in strength and power until the whole earth is enlightened with its glory. 
And then she says that the message of truth that we bear must go to nations, to tongues, and peoples. Soon it will go with a loud voice, and the earth will be lightened with its glory. We are preparing for this great outpouring of the Spirit of God. The message of the third angel has many aspects. We don't have time to go into them all tonight. But we see a merciful God who is bearing long with his children. And then we see a group, a small group of people that would rather obey God's commandments than to die or to be disloyal and bring dishonor to God into his law. They also have the faith of Jesus. They keep the faith of Jesus. They have appreciated what true righteousness by faith is and they have responded to the gospel and now they are entrusted with this end time work. They have beheld the uplifted Savior, the sacrifice for the whole world. They have accepted that only through him can they be justified. But he does not want to leave them there. He invites them to receive his righteousness that is made manifest in obedience to all the commandments of God. And as their eyes have been directed to his divine person, his merits, his changeless love for them, their hearts are strangely warmed. And they have said to him, yes, and he will impart his spirit upon them. The latter rain power will be poured out with great power. And they keep the faith of Jesus. We don't have time to get into this very much, but when Jesus was on the cross, the spirit of prophecy says that hope did not present to him his coming forth from the grave a conqueror. Psalms 22 talks about Jesus beginning with, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But it ends with, it is finished, which was a cry of faith. Jesus was tempted to, to give up in despair and to believe that he wasn't coming through this. He could not see through the tomb, but he remained on the cross because he loved you and loved me more than he loved himself. And when faced with the choice of him existing forever or you existing forever, he chose you. Just for real quick, in the third selected messages, page 172, Ellen White says, In faith, in the ability of Christ to save us amply and fully and entirely is the faith of Jesus. Amen. Jesus Christ was, the was, the, was by faith the victor, and he gives his last day people his faith, a faith that has never failed. A faith that has always endured even to the cross. This is a faith that endures to the end. It is by Jesus who was the author and the finisher of faith. God will have a humble people who will be touched by this faith. Who will live his faith. And he will live it out in us. As a result of this faith. As a result of the showdown between Babylon and God's people. God is going to pour out his spirit and they are going to demonstrate the principles of the gospel. This is where amen comes in as part of the three angels' messages. Ellen White in the 1888 Materials, page 1710, says the truth for this time, the third angel's messages is to be proclaimed with a loud voice, meaning with increasing power as we approach the great final test. 
This test must come to the churches in connection with the true medical missionary work, a work that has the great physician to dictate and to preside in all it comprehends. In Seventh Testimonies, page 59, she states that medical missionary work is the right hand of the gospel. Every city is to be entered by workers trained to do medical missionary work. As the right hand of the third angel's message, God's method of treating disease will, be, will open doors for the entrance of present truth. This is why God has been raising up amen ministries all around the world. The right arm is being restored by God to be connected with the body, the gospel, the three angels' messages, the message that we are specifically called to give to the world. And it blows my mind, but we here in Amen in the United States that started 16 years ago have had nothing to do other than being an inspiration to the groups that are springing up in India, in Philippines, in Malaysia, all over South America and Australia and Europe. God is doing a work in restoring the right arm the Ministry of Health Evangelism. It's a work that he will do. In Councils to Workers, on page 139, Ellen White states that health reform is as closely related to the third angel's message as the right arm to the body. But the right arm cannot take the place of the body. The proclamation of the third angel's message, the commandments of God, and the testimony of Jesus is the great burden of our work. The message is to be proclaimed with a loud voice and it is to go to the whole world. The presentation of health principles must be united in this message but must not in any case be independent from it or in any way take its place. Have you ever tried, if you're right-handed especially, have you ever tried to open a door? It's the right arm, it's the hand that grasps the knob and it opens the door. That's what the health message, that's what the work of the health message does in the very last days. And so as medical professionals, we are to blend the health principles with the gospel principles. And especially in these last days, we are to give the three angels messages to the world. I believe that this is the very reason that God has raised up amen all around the world. Physicians, dentists, optometrists, podiatrists, psychologists, physical therapists, nurses, healthcare workers of every kind are heeding the call to use their training and their professional talents to, to further the cause of the gospel. Amen's first priority is to help healthcare workers turn their practice into a ministry. Teaching and sharing the health principles coupled with or linked together with the gospel principles. To experience the joy of leading patients to the Savior. Not just to give them 7 to 14 more years of good health. But to give them everlasting life. Abundant life that lasts forever. To experience eternal life is what God has called us as physicians, dentists, and other healthcare workers to experience. 
to, to encourage our patients to be made whole by the Savior of all men. Amen is about reclaiming that right arm for the body. The thing that will capture the world stage is a demonstration of God's love put in action in the very same way that Jesus did 2,000 years ago. I mentioned earlier that Jesus spent more time healing than he did teaching and preaching. The Ministry of Healing, page 143, is a, is, a, is a quote that many of us in the health work know very, very well, but it's worth reminding ourselves. Christ's method alone will give true success in reaching the people. The Savior mingled with men as one who desired their good. He showed his sympathy for them. He ministered to their needs and he won their confidence. And then he bade them follow me. And in uh, Christ Object Lessons, page 233, Ellen White states that Christ's servants are to follow his example. As he went from place to place, he comforted the suffering and healed the sick. Then he placed before them the great truths in regard to his kingdom. This is the work of his followers. As you relieve the suffering of the body, you will find ways for ministering to the wants of the soul. You can point to the uplifted Savior and tell of the love of the great physician who alone has power to restore. I have personally seen the power of this in action. At the uh, Pathways, first Pathways Conference in San Antonio, Texas, at an outreach at the Alamo Dome, I had a young man come into the Amen Medical Treatment Area for cardiology. He was suffering from a heart murmur and also had um, hypertension. He was only in his 30s. And so after talking to him and giving him a prescription, talking to him about lifestyle, I prayed with him. And then he started asking me several questions. He said, why are you all doing this? Are you supported by a grant from the government? And I said, no. He said, he said I, I can't believe. Why would there be so many people just volunteering their time to take care of people like me without insurance? He said, I can't believe this. And then he started yelling, nobody does this. Nobody does this. I can't believe it. And he started to cry and he started saying, I want to be a member of your church. Now, he, we didn't preach a sermon. In fact, he had never even heard of Seventh-day Adventists before coming to this event. He didn't even know what we believed. But he wanted to join in what he saw because he saw the gospel in action. That is the power of the right arm. It opens the door to the heart. Ellen White states in Ministry of Healing, page 143, there is a need of coming close to the people by personal effort. If less time were given to sermonizing and more time were spent in personal ministry, greater results would be seen. The poor are to be relieved, the sick cared for, the sorrowing and the bereaved comforted, the ignorant instructed and the inexperienced counseled. We are to weep with those that weep and rejoice with those that rejoice accompanied by the power of persuasion, the power of prayer, and the power of the love of God, this work will not and cannot be without fruit. Did you get that last part? If we unite and blend these principles into our ministry, into our health work, 
It doesn't matter whether you're a pastor who is bringing in health principles or you are a dentist who is bringing in spiritual principles. If we unite these with persuasion, with powerful prayer, and with the power of the love of God, it, this work cannot, this work will not be without fruit. Do you want to see baptisms from your patients? Unite the gospel with the health message. Several patients at Amen Clinics have questioned me, why do you do this work voluntarily? We have seen many baptisms after Amen Free Clinics, especially when they've been coupled with outreaches at the church, with evangelistic meetings and with Bible studies. In my own practice, I have witnessed patients who first I was first able to pray with and then introduce them to the gospel and then invite them to health outreaches at our church. And it's just an amazing thing to see your patient who you have worked with um, sometimes over years to be baptized and to join the church. A wonderful experience that I hope every one of us has the opportunity to, to hear. Ellen White states in Six Testimonies, page 288, that again and again I have been instructed that the medical missionary work is to bear the same relation to the work of the third angel's message that the arm and the hand bear to the body. Under the direction of the divine head, they are to work unitedly in preparing the way for the coming of Christ. The right arm of the body is the truth to be constantly, actively at work, and God will strengthen it. But it is not to be made the body. So, so often we separate the health work and so often the health work has gotten all the resources while the ministry has kind of lingered along. The health work is not to be the body, it's to be the right arm. And at the same time, the body is not to say to the arm, I have no need of you. The body has need of the arm in order to be active and to do active, aggressive work. Both have their appointed work and each will suffer great loss if worked independently of each other. In the E.G. White manuscript releases, volume four, page 427, she states that the Lord has signified that the missionary health restorative gospel shall never be separated from the ministry of the word. The Lord Jesus has in his own example shown us the way in which the work is to be done in the restoration of suffering humanity. The gospel records that Jesus spent more time healing and ministering to the needs of people than he did with teaching and preaching. Sadly, we have had a huge divide between the gospel work and with pastors in the medical work. A big divide. And it's so common in our, even in our Adventist medical centers that if the patient expresses a spiritual interest or wants to pray, that we as medical professionals say, oh, call for the chaplain. But this is a work that we're supposed to do. We're supposed to blend the two to be effective. There is so much more power when the two are combined explosive power when we combine the two. Sadly, or speaking of this very thing, Ellen White says that I want to tell you that when the gospel ministry and the medical missionary workers are not united, there is placed in our churches the worst evil that can be placed there. And so with the birth of Amen, this divide is being restored. 
We have pastors and physicians working together. There is another role for healthcare workers, and that is to train and educate our own churches, our own church members, so that the delivery of the end time health message isn't just for healthcare workers. It's not just for the medical professionals that are gathered at a conference like Amen. It is for every single member to share with their neighbors. Ministry of Healing, page 149, states that every church should be a training school for Christian workers. Its members should be taught how to give Bible readings, how to conduct and teach Sabbath school, how to help the poor and to care for the sick, and how to work for the unconverted. Five things, how to care for the sick and care for the unconverted. There should be schools of health, cooking schools and demonstrations, classes in various lines of Christian help work. There should not only be teaching, but actual work under experienced instructors. Let the instructors lead the way in working among the people. So imagine instead of hiding in our homes and in, in, with our stockpiles of toilet paper, if we were instead safely and carefully out there ministering to the needs of our neighbors. Offering simple methods to deal with COVID-19 and other outbreaks. Things like eating simple foods. Yes, a plant-based diet. Things that are high in fiber and phytochemicals so they will boost or enhance our immunity and our immune system. Offering hot and cold fermentations or water treatments that can help if, they're, if they are already in their sickbed. Yes, there are many effective ways that are very simple that we could train every Seventh-day Adventist to be able to do. In, in, in medical ministry, page 320, Ellen White says that in every place the sick may be found and those who go forth as workers for Christ should be true health reformers prepared to give those who are sick the simple treatments that will relieve them and then pray with them. Thus, the way will be open and the door for the entrance of the truth. In doing this work, will be followed by good results. The early Christians in the early centuries of the church often died caring for people. It is stated that when there was an outbreak in the first century in Rome that killed off a quarter of the empire, over 5,000 people were dying in a day. Um, it is recorded that prior to Constantine's decree that Christianity was to be the official religion of Rome, there was much interest in the Christians. And one of the primary reasons is that when the plagues hit the empire, the rich and anyone who could afford to would flee and head for the hills. But many of the Christians stayed and cared for the sick and the dying, often dying themselves. And the Romans asked, who would do this and why? This small group of rebels and misfits were then able to share the faith and there was explosive growth in the church. Sounds like our day when the rich people in New York can flee to the Hamptons or their private yachts. But imagine that if Seventh-day Adventists, instead of fleeing, were actually going into the cities to minister to people. Martin Luther stated it this way when the plague broke out um, in 1527. You ought to think this way. Very well, by God's decree, the enemy has sent a pestilence. I shall ask God mercifully to protect us, and then I shall administer medicine, and I will take it. I shall avoid places and persons where my presence is not needed in order not to become contaminated, and thus perchance infect and pollute others. 
And if people in a city were to show themselves bold in faith when a neighbor's need so demands and cautious when there is no emergency that exists, and if everyone would help ward off contagion as best he can, then the death toll would indeed be moderate. But if some are too panicky and desert their neighbors in their plight, and if some are so foolish as to not take precautions but aggravate the contagion, then the devil has a heyday and many will die. It claimed the life of his daughter. But uh, we are called as Christ ambassadors to be ministers to those. And so um, Councils on Diet 73, when properly conducted, the health work is the opening wedge, making a way for other truths to reach the heart. When the third angel's message is received in its fullness, health reform will be given its place in the councils of the conference, in the work of the church, and in the home table, and at the household arrangements. Then the right arm will serve and protect the body. My hope is that you will feel God's call to commit yourself in your life to his service. As physicians and dentists and healthcare workers, you most likely entered this field with high ideals and idealistic expectations that you would make a difference. Sometimes we get jaded in the process, but the work of Adventist Medical Evangelism Network is to call every Seventh-day Adventist physician and dentist, every medical student, every healthcare worker to transform your lives and to commit your life to service and to every member of the Seventh-day Adventist Church. Time is very short. It's time that we embrace this message, that we unite the two and that we blend the health work with the gospel ministry that we give the three angels message with the opening wedge. This is our call in these last days. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.